the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt. Welcome to the interview with Hugh Hewitt, sponsored by AndrewandTodd.com. Andrew and Todd are with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. They help you with all your real estate lending needs. If you're refinancing your home, if you're buying a new home, if you're a senior who wants a reverse mortgage, if you're a veteran who doesn't want to put any money down, whatever it is, if you're in the private real estate market for yourself, and maybe you want an investment property, try AndrewandTodd.com or call 888 Now on to the interview with Hugh Hewitt. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt in my California studio today because tonight at the Nixon Library at 7 p.m. in Yorba Linda, I'll be interviewing my next guest, Fox News anchor Brett Baer, who hosts Special Report each night in your living room. He's also the author of this brand new book, To Rescue the Republic. Ulysses S. Grant, The Fragile Union and the Crisis of 1876, which I absolutely inhaled. Good morning, Brett. How are you? Hey, Hugh. Good morning. It is ironic this morning that we're talking about Grant when news breaks of the loss of another commander of the American forces a long time ago. Ulysses S. Grant, we're talking about this tonight. But Colin Powell passed away this morning. I'm sure that you, like I, met him around Washington, D.C., but is this interesting? You think he was commander of all American forces when we invaded Iraq in 1991, as Grant was when he took over the Union forces in 1863. Yeah, I, it's a big loss. Um, I exchanged emails with uh, Michael Powell, who's a friend of mine, um, Colin's son, and uh, it's tough for the family. Um, it happened suddenly because of um, COVID complications. And he was vaccinated twice, and um, both he and his wife got got COVID. She's um, she's doing fine, but um, just looking at his life, uh, you think of a career of a military man who is then thrust into the middle of politics uh, as Secretary of State. But you, you think of his time in the consequential moments of uh, what we went through in the Gulf War, um, in the lead up to 9-11 and into 9-11 in Iraq. Um, he was a, a big figure, obviously the youngest national security advisor ever, the first black secretary of state, uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and uh, a substantial figure in our history. I, I do remember I reading about Grant and Stanton, uh, which is at the end of your book, uh, when he mm-hmm. is working with Stanton to, to sort of stop Andrew Johnson, the out-of-control president from firing Edward Stanton, the secretary of war, doesn't work, but Grant is in there and fills the gap. I was reminded when I got the news this morning of Dick Cheney and Colin Powell in 1991. I'm old enough to remember this very clearly. They were very, very instrumental in building America's confidence. I even started my radio career that year and Americans thought we were going to lose thousands and thousands of American boys in the invasion of Iraq in 1991. Not many people know that. But Colin Powell stood there with Dick Cheney and reassured the country that George H.W. Bush's command would be carried out in the way that Grant reassured the country when he took over. 
No, you're right. And he had that, that calming kind of leadership tone. Um, it was a little Grant-like uh, in that, but he was he was far more the center of the spotlight. Uh, he, after the Gulf War, is uh, seen to skyrocket. He's talked about, whispered about as a presidential candidate, Colin Powell was, never chose to do it. He said his wife didn't ever want him to do it. Um, and obviously, in the Iraq War, calls it a blot on his record uh, that time testifying before the UN General Assembly, uh, UN Security Council, rather, about making the case for war on uh, WMD. I think, um, you know, Grant would, he was a leader that um, was never, you know, a flashy, outward talking kind of guy. He was a leader by action, and his military record really led his entire career. Great personal valor by both of them. Colin Powell received the Soldier's Medal for during his second tour in Vietnam, rescuing a general, a future general officer and two others single handedly from a burning helicopter. Ulysses Grant in the invasion of Mexico, himself leading the Bell Tower assault and another case writing his incredible equestrian skills out of a surrounded uh, uh, part. Both of these men had extraordinary physical courage, which you go to great pains to to talk about and to rescue the Republic. Generals these days don't often get that experience as a general, as as Grant did. I mean, bullets flying by him at Shiloh. It's pretty hard to miss this. Yeah, that's right. And obviously his close confidant, Sherman, uh, was with him along the way. And uh, there is that uh, great moment where Shiloh, after they've really taken uh, massive losses and the the fields are running with blood and Sherman is ready to um, to retreat, he's ready to call in, throw the white flag. And but he sees in Grant's face this determination and he says, uh, well, we really we really took it there. And he said, yep, we'll lick him tomorrow. That is my favorite Grant quote, by the way. There's a there's a family connection. The fishing Mrs. Hewitt's great grandfather once more was the general who screwed up the message to General Buell to come forward. And so we're glad that they licked him <laughs> the next day. So we're very glad about that. Let me begin, uh, Brett, tonight at the Nixon Library. I want to focus on the presidency and the reconstruction, because what I think you did here in To Rescue the Republic is truly necessary for our times to understand what we tried to do in Reconstruction and where we failed and how it wasn't Grant's fault. And had he been allowed to succeed, had Andrew Johnson not been in the way, the Freedmen's Bureau might have actually altered the course of Reconstruction. But Grant did everything he could, and he did rescue the Republic. You spent a lot more time on the crisis of 1876 than even Ron Chernow did. And I actually didn't know this much. I've been teaching con law for that long. But 1876 was always this wild, very arcane, very complicated story, which you very painstakingly spelled out. We'll talk about that today. How long did it take you to get control of the details of that? Because it's complicated. Yeah. So about, you know, a year and a half, I've got this great research team, uh, Sidney Soderbergh and um, co-authors Catherine Whitney, and we have this kind of team effort. We sent Sidney to um, various libraries, and um, and she has this innate ability to uh, dig out uh, real true nuggets. And piecing that all together like a quilt from the various narratives at the time and what was written of it, um, you had to really get into it. It's what I tell people is that it's it's readable history. You know, it's not you're not slogging through it. It is uh, we're hoping to have you live in it. And 
it's um, the 1876 part is really important. Uh, as I'm writing the end of this book, um, obviously the the Capitol riot happens, and that gives you a different perspective about how things um, in a contested election could have gone. We at that point at 1876 are on the cusp hue of falling back into a civil war, and it is really present. The violence has increased, and that grand bargain, that grand strikes, is one in which, um, had he not, uh, we don't know what would have happened. Now, the difference, of course, is Grant wasn't on the ballot in 1876. But I am reminded, my friend John Eastman wrote the very controversial memo, the full memo, not the excerpted one, that laid out options that uh, I don't believe John was correct in listing an option to overrule the act. I didn't think it was unconstitutional under the 12th Amendment that existed. But that act was passed, the one that Eastman was interpreting, because of the the 12th Amendment conflict and these competing slates of electors. We'll get into that tonight. And I, I want to promise everyone, if you don't understand what happened in 1876, if you read Brett's book, To Rescue the Republic, you will. But I want to start with what you necessarily do. A lot of people won't begin Ron Chernow's book, Brett, it's just too damn big. I mean, I did. I listened to it. But I, all I do is walk and, and trundle during the during the shutdown. And you managed to fly through this. I inhaled it. And I want to start with, of course, he is from Ohio. And just let everyone know that no Ohio, no union. So is Sherman, by the way. And write that down. But he's a great horseman. And you pick that up from page 18 forward. The man was born to ride. He really was. You know, he didn't want to be a soldier. Um, he he had no interest really in following his father in the, in the tanning business, the leather business, but he really didn't want to be a soldier either. But his father said, you are going to West Point. Um, and he says, I'm not going to go. And, and his protests are kind of short lived. His father said he would go. And so and so he did. They get the um, the appointment and uh, not a great start at West Point. He arrives and his name's been recorded wrong. Uh, explained to the registrar that his name was not Ulysses S. Grant. It was Hiram Ulysses Grant. And he was told that admission could only be given to the recorded name. So he became Ulysses S. Grant from then on. And I love the fact that he went with it. I also want every young person listening to know that on page 23 of To Rescue the Republic, you're going to find out that Ulysses S. Grant arrives at West Point. He is five foot one and weighs 117 pounds. And he goes on to become yeah. one of the great men of the five foot one, 117, Brett. That's that's not small. as heavy as your golf bag. That's exactly right. He was small and he was not impressive. He, he you know, he was not gifted in military skills. He would I think he was 21st in the class of 39. He was notorious for demerits. He had like 59 in his first year and 67 in his second, 66 in his third. But as you mentioned, he was an impressive horseman and um he really turned out to be really good at being a soldier. And the Mexican-American War is the place where he he shines. Yeah, I had General McChrystal on last week about his new book. And he said to me, and it's in that book, that everyone wants to go to war once. And Grant, in fact, you quote him on page 37, writing to uh, Julia, there is no great sport in having bullets fly about one in every direction. He was no, he wasn't any in any way naive about how butchery took place in the Civil War battlefields and how awful it is to go to war. Yeah, I had a real uh, realization of that. And and then going through the Civil War and seeing um, that 
just massive, massive loss of life. And um, and guys, he's fight or fighting for him. Uh, you know, going down on the battlefield, it affects him deeply to the point where he knows the one thing that he wants to do more than anything else is keep the union together so that doesn't happen again. I'm, I'm struck by an anecdote, which is in To Rescue the Republic, that I don't recall from Ron Chero. His weeping at the news that one of his young protégés, he and Sherman were raising up someone who they thought could succeed him. Uh, and was this young general was killed in, in, I believe, the Sherman campaign while he was That's up right. uh, around Petersburg, if I recall. And he wept. That's and right. I, I think it's interesting for people to realize that these men of war are nevertheless still fellow friends with the warriors both across the line in the Civil War and on their side. Yeah. And he wrote a letter to the family and, and the mother recalls that, um, you know, in it. He said that he wept um, for him, and it affected both of them because they did think that uh, Sherman and Grant, that um, this young up-and-comer was going to be their their heir. Very quickly before the break, and then we'll come back and talk about the lost years after that. In Mexico, in the Mexican War, Zachary Taylor has an enormous impact, and you record it. Can you describe the audience what Zachary Taylor meant to Grant? Well, Grant, he was basically the best possible teacher. Uh, Both Zachary Taylor and Winfield Scott uh, become these mentors uh, for Grant, and he they enable uh, Grant to see what leadership looks like. And um, because of Grant's exploits, and you mentioned the church tower and and uh, thinking outside the box, Zachary Taylor enables him to see what leadership looks like. When we come back, I'm going to talk with Brett Baer about To Rescue the Republic. There is an entire segment called The Lost Years, where he goes around the country as a young army officer to the worst places in the world to get sent, and he endures. And he endures, and he hits bottom, by the way. You'll be inspired by this. If you want tickets to come tonight, you head over to uh, just Google Nixon Foundation Brett Baer. I'll be interviewing him tonight at uh, 7 p.m., and he'll be signing books after our conversation on stage. He will be originating his broadcast tonight from the Nixon Library in Yorba Linda, because after that broadcast, I'll be interviewing Brett for a a live audience, and he will be signing his book, To Rescue the Republic, which is number one at Amazon.com, and I think we'll stay there for a long time. It's interesting, Brett, uh, Colin Powell, who passed away this morning, often said that but for his White House fellowship under Richard Nixon, the opportunities he enjoyed would never have come his way, and you are originating the broadcast, I think, from the Nixon Library tonight. And I, I'm sure the staff will have available for you the picture of him with RN in the Oval when he was a White House fellow. But the, the intersection of all these paths is, is interesting to me. I want to go back to your book and to what I thought was the most trenchant observation in To Rescue the Republic before the 1876 crisis. Why did he stay in the Army? Because he never thought he was going to stay in the Army. And you write on page 49, maybe it was simply the awareness growing in him during the long days and nights of the war that this was something he was good at, the Mexican War. He had the nerves for it, the temperament. You know what that reminded me of, Brett? Jim Mattis said the same thing in his memoir. I interviewed him at the Nixon Library. General Mattis said he always intended to get out as soon as his enlistment was up. And then something would come along and he would stay in. And and Grant didn't stay in the whole time. But you're right. He had the the temperament for war, uh, an unflappability, an iron will. Yeah. Yeah, he he was kind of unshakable. Uh, and he w- was meant for that. And 
you know, he never really aspired to be a, a politician or a, a political figure. Even before the end of the war, he's such a popular figure that people are constantly trying to persuade him to run for president. And he assures them that, that he has no interest, um, says something like, I never, I never aspired uh, but to one office in my life, and he said I wanted to be mayor of Galena, the Illinois town where he lived, to build a, a sidewalk from his house to the depot. And uh, after the war, he returns to Galena, and he's greeted with all these people coming out, and they have a big sign that see, says, General, the sidewalk is built. Yeah. Even in America, it impresses me at this remove that a man could come from such straightened circumstances to become president, rescue the republic, as you point out, and to rescue the republic three times, then goes across Europe for two and a half years and is fatted by everyone from Queen Victoria to the czar. What a trip that is. But if I can talk about an earlier trip, you have a section in To Rescue the Republic. I think I've said To Rescue the Republic seven times. Frank Luntz says, unless you, <laughs> unless you say the title of the book seven times, people don't remember it, but it's doing so well at Amazon. I don't think people are going to forget Brett Barron, To Rescue the Republic. The Lost Years, he went to the worst place. I mean, he went to Detroit, which is the worst place in the world. I'm from Ohio, so we know that. Then he went to Sackett's Harbor. Then he went... I mean, just god-awful places on the West Coast, which there was nothing going on, and he drank a bit. And you, you, don't, yeah. you don't shy away from that. But when, when he got done on the West Coast, he was done in. Yep. He, you know, it was really the most tortured time of his life. It's this long separation from his family. He's sent to the Northwest. He's isolated at an isolated fort. Uh, he's lonely and bored, and he falls into depression. And he writes uh, Julia, his wife, and, and how he says he's forsaken there. And he's given to bouts of depression. He does what soldiers did at some times. Uh, he drank heavily. And when his uh, commander finds him one day, he orders Grant. He's drunk. He orders him to resign or face court-martial. And um, his friends want him to stand trial, thinking that he can get acquitted. But he resigns his commission and heads home. Dismal failure at farming, dismal failure at business, um, and he's at the lowest point in his life. He's selling firewood in Illinois, and three years later would be commanding all of the Union forces. You know, you do not belabor uh, the problem with drink, which would occasionally burden even his warriors. You don't belabor it, and I'm glad you didn't. But you do talk very bluntly about his attitudes towards slavery. He was never an abolitionist, but when his father-in-law... Julia was a Southerner. She was served by the enslaved for many years. When his father gifts him, an enslaved man, uh, Grant frees him fairly quickly. I don't know how long it was, but he's just not comfortable being an owner of another human being. And he became rather settled in his abolitionist ways as the war progressed. Well done. Yeah, even more so. I mean, he was kind of siding at most times as president with the radical Republicans, as they were called. Um, and you forget that this eight-year presidency, we just don't talk about it that much. And yes, there was some petty corruption within his administration. Yes, he trusted people that tried to make money off of him. But his his big role is to win the peace, and in particular, make sure the process of reconstruction is successful. And he does really everything in his power to do that. He's, um, you know, blacks were voting for the first time. The fourteenth, fifteenth. Amendments uh, are pushed through. They're serving in Congress, in the U.S. Senate, own farms, making their own livings. And, you know, I think that it's it's hard to imagine that effort by a president sending federal troops after the Ku Klux Klan in the South, 
uh, and thinks that he wants to push Lincoln's vision forward uh, and then runs into Reconstruction uh, kind of running out of steam, both in the South and in the North. That's what my focus is going to be on tonight with you, Brett Barrett, the Nixon Library, because I think most people who are literate in America will know, okay, let me see, Fort Henry, Shiloh, Vicksburg, the Overland Campaign, Petersburg, and Unleashing Sherman. They'll get the the backbone of his war service. They won't know his presidency, and they will not know standing up to Andrew Johnson. I mean, maybe we're just fated to have one of these every 150 years, but Andrew Johnson was just an SOB. And I, 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 a horrible person, right? He's just a horrible yeah. person. And, uh, and Grant just stands up to him, refuses. Let's close with the story of turning down. I think it's a noble moment. I don't think I remember it from the Chernow book where Johnson tries to send him to Mexico and he just flat out in front of the whole cabinet says, the hell with that. I'm not going to Mexico. Send Sherman. Yeah. He says, you know, if you're sending me to war, then that's fine. But, uh, I am not going to the, you know, he just stands up and says, I'm not going. And, you know, he serves at the pleasure of the president, but not that president. And no. uh, it's just an interesting dynamic. And he's doing everything he possibly can to undercut Johnson's efforts to uh, undo Lincoln's vision. And uh, just imagine, first of all, that Grant is invited by Lincoln to go to Fort Theater. Lincoln and his wife invite the Grants to go. They have to go visit their kids in New Jersey, so they send regrets. He, if he's not assassinated, Lincoln, if his term continues, if Grant then follows Lincoln, we have an entirely different country. Uh, it's interesting to think about. It is. Uh, we will begin tonight at the uh, at that buggy ride where John Wilkes Booth flies by him and looks into his carriage and carry on through his presidency reconstruction and uh, the crisis of 1876. Well done, Brett. A bestseller to rescue the Republic. I look forward to seeing you tonight. Congratulations, even on this somber day that we've lost Colin Powell. He'll be remembered in books like this 150 years from now. Thank you, Brett Bear. Thanks for the time. Don't go anywhere, America. I'll be back tomorrow with the next edition of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. It is The Hugh Hewitt Show. That concludes today's episode of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Make sure you come back and check out all the other podcasts on the Salem Podcast Network. And remember to thank our sponsors, andrewandtodd.com. If you believe in long-form interviews like I do, then do your real estate transactions with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian. I've known both men for a long time. andrewandtodd.com. Go there, answer a couple of questions. They'll tell you what's best to do with your house or call them at 888-888-1172. You'll be glad you did, and you'll be glad that you listened to the next episode of The Interview. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.